0: So communion, what's it all mean? What does communion mean? We are familiar with the mechanics of taking the bread and the cup, and especially if we're in churches like this church, where we do it regularly. But communion can be something we do, maybe even do it robotically, and, do we, and we do it sometimes because we think maybe I'm supposed to do communion, supposed to take it. It's what I have to do. And I'm wondering, as we dive in this morning, if we have missed the rich spiritual meaning that communion portrays and how it's supposed to connect with our lives today. And sadly, when I prepared this message, it seems that we of the church have missed the deep meaning of communion. And not just here, us at Thurston, but the church at large. The reason it felt this way is I found a lot of conversation and discussion about the mechanics. Do I do the cup first? Do I do the bread first? The bread first? The cup first? I'm really confused. It's in Luke, it's, you know, cup then bread. In, in Corinthians, where we look at today, it's bread then cup. What do I do? There's also a lot of conversation is that the bread and the cup, the the juice, is that literally Jesus' body and blood or not? Lots of debate about that. But I found very little discussion about what communion means and signifies. And so this led me to believe that most of us know that we should take communion, but beyond that, We're fuzzy, or maybe even really have no idea what communion really is all about and how communion connects to our lives today. So, our one big idea for this morning is understanding what communion is changes our lives. Understand what, understanding what communion is changes our lives. And so my hope is that by the end of our time together, you'll have a much clearer comprehension of communion. But not just an understanding, not just some facts to stick into your head, but a comprehension that will transform the way you live your life. If communion isn't something that you're like, this changes my life, you've missed the meaning of it. Communion changes Our lives because of what it means. So, the passage related to communion, you can get there if you want. Those of you that are still using paper Bibles, I see one right there. You can grab, or digital Bibles, grab your digital Bibles. We'll have it on the screen. Those of you online, I'm sure that you can find some way, whether you Google, you know, Bible or whatever, we'd love to have you jump in. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 23, and that's going to be where we're going to start looking at this idea of communion. And leading into this passage, Paul is addressing the abuse of the Lord's Supper or communion. When the Corinthians were coming together to worship, there was a division among them, and there were cliques that had formed. Sound familiar? (laughs) I don't think we've, we still have that stuff today. When the Corinthians were coming together to worship, they were eating, instead of eating the Lord's supper together, they were bringing in a lot of outside food and they were gorging themselves. And those who were poor didn't have a lot of extra outside food to bring in with them, and so they were left out, and some of them went hungry. Others drank too much and got drunk at the Lord's table. This is the context for what's going on. And Paul, do you think Paul's like, oh, hey, that's okay? Gorge yourself and get drunk. Way to go. Good job. Proud of you. No. <laughs> Paul's not happy. He's upset. He's upset at the wanton disregard for God and for others. And from the context, we can tell that Paul's gone over communion with them before, and now he's having to go over it again. How many parents in the room? Johnny, Susie, I've told you this before, let me tell you again, Paul's kind of like a parent here, he's like, man, I'm going to have to tell you guys again, and so as we read this, just kind of picture Paul, okay, let me repeat, since you didn't hear the first 45 times, let's make it 46 he said, "For I receive from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me." In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me." For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So that is Paul's account. And the first thing we noticed is that Paul learned communion directly from Jesus himself. But wait, how's that possible? I mean, maybe some of you aren't this astute, but Paul didn't hang out with Jesus when Jesus was here on planet Earth. He wasn't one of the 12. He didn't go riding around with Jesus. Well, I mean, I guess they didn't ride. They walked. He went walking. He wasn't, that wasn't Paul. Paul comes later. Paul actually, and if you guys did a little bit of work in Acts, I think, but I don't know if you talked about this. Paul's persecuting the church after Jesus' death. He is not in that crew. So how is this possible? Well, I would, we don't have time. But if you go to Galatians 1 and 2, Paul shares his testimony. And in sharing his testimony, he talks about his conversion. First as a persecutor of Christians, then becoming a Christian himself. And this, when he became a Christian, happened with a face-to-face meeting with the risen Christ on the road to Damascus to take out some Christians. And it knocked him on his backside and he became blind. And Jesus at that time said, Paul, Paul, why do you persecute me? And I always like to jokingly say, Paul had a V8 moment. I could have had a V8. He went, oh, <laughs> you're, you're really God? You're really the son of God? Ah, I could have had a V8. Those of the older group will get that. <laughs> the younger group's like, what's a V8? It was an old commercial. Go back, I'm sure you can find it on YouTube. So he was healed shortly after that. In Galatians, he shares that he went into Arabia and that he was taught by the risen Christ. He was taught by the risen Christ. And it's during this time that we would expect that he was given those details about communion as part of that teaching. Pretty awesome. The second thing we notice is that this form of of worship was instituted by Jesus himself. Now, I think when the Son of God says, here's a form of worship that you can participate in, I think we probably should sit up and take notice, don't you? Like, no, we can skip that. (laughs) No, that's a big deal. And if you look at the church history, I think you'll see and understand that we do see the importance and the value of communion. It's important, and we've practiced it, you know, Most churches, most denominations, you'll see that they practice communion. I I haven't been in a church that, at at least at some form and at some time, they practice communion. I mean, pre-COVID, I was a part of a church where you had a cup and you dipped the bread in it. Everybody dipped the bread. (laughs) It's like, ooh, nowadays we go, oh, don't do that. Let's do the Lunchable Pack. It's a little more sanitary, you know. (laughs) So this form of worship communion is a form of worship and it is a central to worship and it has been central from the earliest days of the church Communion has been central And so next we notice that Jesus instituted this form of worship on the night that he was betrayed on the night that he was going to the cross Why is that important Well, when he sat down with his disciples to have a meal in the upper room, they were having a specific meal, and that meal was called the Passover meal. Now, the Passover meal, maybe you don't know what that is, but maybe you do, but even if you do, I'm going to repeat it for you. The Passover meal commemorated God's rescue of the Jewish people from Egypt. And in rescuing the Jewish people, the Jewish people were, told to, they were to, told to eat a lamb, make a lamb, and when they killed the lamb, they were told to take the blood of a lamb and spread it on the doorposts of their home. So you should start to get a sense of something here. Jesus is called, what's one of his names? The Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. Now they were to kill the lamb, take the blood, spread the blood on the doorposts, and they were supposed to do that to protect from uh, the angel of death. Wrong. No, they were to protect from God. God was going to move through Egypt. God himself was going to move through Egypt. And he was going to uh, strike down and kill the firstborn of every person, every family, and every animal. Unless there was, a door, there was blood on the doorpost of the entry. And so the Passover was in fact a covenant God made with the Jewish people, taking them as his own. If you have the blood on the door, you're my own and I will go over you. I will not strike you. I will protect you. But if you don't, woe to those who are inside. So the Passover was, in fact, a covenant that God made with the Jewish people, taking them as his own. And see, a covenant is important in communion. A covenant is an agreement which brings about a relationship of commitment between two people, but particularly in this case, it is a commitment between God and his people. Covenant is a commitment of God to God and his people. It's a commitment to each other. Malcolm Smith, in his book, The Power of the Blood Covenant, says this. He says, every covenant ended with a meal that declared that the covenant was valid and now functional in the lives of the parties to it. The meal showed the covenant as the two representatives, so it showed it pictorially visually, as the two representatives would eat the same bread and drink the same wine, telling the world that they were one. So they shared a meal to physically represent what was going on as they were making this covenant commitment to one another covenant is all over the place. The Passover is not the only one. One example is the covenant God made with Abraham, which was sealed with a meal, but that, that covenant was great because God says, hey, Abraham, guess what? I'm going to make a covenant with you. And so like, Abraham gets the animals. I think he slaughters the animals, puts them together, and he's like, me and God, we're going to walk through these animals. That was part of the covenant ritual, and we're going to walk through together, and we're going to commit to one another. And God goes, nope, Abraham, go to sleep. I'll walk through by myself. I'll commit it by myself. I will make the agreement with myself because you can't keep up the agreement. I can. Another covenant is the one at Mount Sinai when the old covenant was put into place. God sealed that covenant with the leaders as they shared a meal together. And so covenant and meal is big and Jesus did the same thing with the communion meal when he said, this is the cup of the new covenant. And he was ratifying and establishing a new agreement between himself and those who would receive him. He was taking a new people as his own. And he was doing it in his blood. It wasn't just wine, it was, it was his blood that would seal that that commitment. So knowing that Jesus instituted communion as a form of worship during the Passover meal means he used symbols of that meal to communicate the meaning of this new covenant meal. He took the old covenant symbols, the Passover symbols, and he used them to now make a new agreement, a new covenant out of these symbols. First, the bread he used was one of three pieces of unleavened bread called matzah. Say it with me. Matzah. Oh, you're all Jewish. Good for you. Such a deal, you know, hey. Matzah. Matzah is an unleavened bread. It has no yeast in it. That's important because yeast is a pictorial type in Scripture of sin. Sin this bread could not have yeast in it, could not have sin in it because there were three pieces of bread separate, separated and wrapped in linen and they were to represent the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so they were carefully wrapped and separated and Jesus unwrapped the middle piece and he broke it in two and he put half back in the napkin He's the second person of the Trinity, broken for you. This is my body, broken for you. And in Jewish tradition, there was a tradition with the Passover meal where the other half that was broken, because they would break it, would be buried, would be uh, hidden in the house, and the kids were to go find it. The kids were to go find it. And so this is a picture of the idea of Jesus' death, his hiding, his burial, and the kids going to find it was a picture of the future coming of resurrection. Now, the kids would scurry, they would go find this thing, and they would bring back, I found the piece of bread, woohoo, I get the prize, yay! Right? And they'd go, yep, you get the prize, that's great, you get the prize in 50 days. Five zero. I mean, we've all been kids. That would not go over well, would it? Hey, you win, but we'll hook you up in about 50 days. So the gift would be given in 50 days, and that is much like the 50 days after Jesus' death when in the upper room on Pentecost, the disciples received the Spirit. (gasps) Just saying that gives me shivers. Shivers. 50 days after Jesus' resurrection, it would come the Holy Spirit, the gift. So there's the finding of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, and 50 days later, the Holy Spirit, the gift, the present comes. The other element, the wine, actually came in four cups throughout the Passover meal, symbolizing in order sanctification, plagues, redemption, and praise. Any guesses which cup Jesus picked? Redemption, I think I heard somebody say it. If you did, bonus points? I mean, they're all good choices, right? It's not like they're a bad choice in the one. But Jesus took the cup of redemption, and that was the cup he used to institute communion. Redemption. This is the cup. Of the new covenant in my blood. This is the cup of redemption. I hope you're beginning to see the rich, deep symbolism in this act of worship. It's loaded. The final note is Jesus asking this to be done in remembrance of Him? Right? He says, do this in remembrance of me, and it's do it in relation to the specific thing that he was about to do, which what he was, what he, what he was going to accomplish on the cross. Take communion in remembrance of an accomplishment on the cross. Now remembering was understood differently in Jesus' day than it is today. We think, remember it, okay, I pull the data banks up in my brain and I rethink what that thing was, and it's, it's there, it's loaded, okay, I've remembered it. That's not the case. Again, quoting Malcolm Smith, he says, remembrance in that day was not just a mental activity. It was a means to do or to recreate past events, bringing them into the present moment by reenacting with rituals and symbols. The person remembering totally identified with and participated in all the power and effects of the original event. I think it's important to read that again. Remembrance in that day was not just a mental activity. It was a means to do or to recreate past events, bringing them into the present moment by reenacting with rituals and symbols. The people remembering totally identified with and participated in all the power and all the effects of the original event. This is important. So when we take communion, we are not only remembering something that happened sometime before we existed. Back in the good old days. That's not what we're doing. We are bringing what Jesus accomplished on the cross into the present. And don't we need what Jesus accomplished on the cross in the present? Isn't that where we need it Most? If Jesus died on the cross way back then, and it stays back there, what good does it do us? It needs to be brought to today. And so it's not helpful if it stays in the past. So as we remember, when we take communion, we totally identify with Christ. And his death on the cross. And remembering is a total immersion of ourselves into that event. We don't get to stand over here and go, that's great that you died on the cross. It's all in. You died, which means I join you in this. I'm in this now, right here, today. I'm bringing it forward. I'm remembering We totally immerse ourselves in it. We actually identify with him in two specific ways. His blood and his body. Well, when we take communion and we drink the cup, we are bringing into the present that we are identified with Jesus and his death for us. Jesus' death for us for us because we receive that as a washing as a cleansing as our forgiveness Jesus' death is a cleansing and it's his death for us and I have found that most understand the blood part of communion You're, you're like Mike you're not telling me anything totally new about that but when it comes to the body our understanding diminishes it gets real fuzzy real quick I'll tell people you take communion what do you you know oh yeah the blood well what's the body mean uh, not really sure so to understand it we need to understand the issues that Jesus's work on the cross address obviously we've done wrong things things that are called sin actions of sin verbs We do bad things. We need forgiveness of those, past, present, and future. That's the cup. But see, those sprout out of and come out of being born with a broken, wrong condition. Bad root, bad fruit. And so that wrong, that wrong condition, that bad condition, is what caused us to now sin and to do things of wrong action. And so this broken wrong condition was a byproduct of all the way back at the beginning. Adam and Eve's rebellion against God, which left them changed and not functioning the way God intended. And I shared some of that with you when I candidated. And so if you weren't here for that go back, I think it was the last Sunday in June, by all means you can find it on our audio, you can listen to it again, you won't get the joy of the diagrams if you want a diagram I can give you one, but we talked about how we're the temple of God. And how Adam and Eve when they died, they didn't die physically, they died later physically they didn't die in their thinking, feeling, and choosing, they could still make decisions, they didn't become robots, automatons they died spiritually. Their connection to God is what broke. It was separated. They no longer could function the way they were meant to function, which was in union with God. And so, this is the condition that every person that shows up on the planet Earth receives as a wonderful heredity from Adam and Eve. Thanks, Mom and Dad, for that dead spiritual condition. I'm so happy you gave this to me. What a gift! So this, her- this hereditary condition that is a dead spiritual condition that has been passed down from generation to generation to generation until you showed up on planet Earth and you showed up sick as well. No one escapes. No one gets a get out of jail free card. And you certainly don't get $200 when you pass go. So for us to be freed from that broken condition. We had to have been taken out of Adam and Eve's family. We have to be removed from that family line, from all that goes with that family line, including the dead spiritual condition. We have to be taken out of it. And for us to receive a new spiritual condition, a new life, we have to be put into a new family line. A family line that's alive spiritually. That has a new history of spiritual life and a new heredity. And so, how would somebody be taken out of a family? Well, the easiest way, and I mean, I'm Italian, I'm an adopted Italian, and Italians know great ways to take people out of families. We put a hit job on them, eh? We take them out. So for someone to be moved out of a family, they have to die. If Joey gets taken out, he's out of the family. So how does somebody enter a new family? How does somebody enter a family in general? They're born into or made alive in that family. So are you seeing what God did? When Christ went to the cross he took us into himself. He took us into himself so that we could die and we could leave Adam and Eve's family and say so long mom and dad I'm out. Galatians 2.20 says it this way. I have been crucified with Christ. How's that possible? Were you there? Are there nail marks in your hands and feet, you don't have the physical markers, but spiritually the moment you gave yourself to Jesus, right into him at that moment in the cross, on the cross. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live in the flesh by, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Romans 6.6, we know. Paul's assuming, hey, if you're a Christian, you should know this. And if you don't, that's okay. That's why we're talking about it today. Romans 6.6, we know that our old self, that old self is the dead spiritual nature. It's called old man. It's the one that's connected to Adam. That old, wretched thing inside of you that you showed up with, with on planet Earth was crucified with him. That's Jesus in order that the body of sin, and that's a whole other topic I'm hoping to get to in the next little while, but we'll see, Lord willing. That body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we could no longer be enslaved to sin. Amen? You're not a slave to sin because you died with Jesus if you gave yourself to him. And you know what? Spiritually, you were put into Christ. You were put on the cross with Him, and you were you were crucified with Him, and then you were put in the grave. But you know what? It didn't say there. Actually, before six six, there's some other verses. Paul says, not only were we resurrected, but he says that we were made alive. We have a new family. His new family is brought about in this way. Romans 6, 4-5. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death. Now real quick, I know that we love baptism here and I celebrate baptism, but baptism like communion is a picture of a bigger spiritual reality. Baptism in the Greek, is that, that word baptism in English is a transliteration from a Greek word. The Greek word is baptizo. So we made a word baptism. That sounds like the Greek word. But the word literally means placed in two. So this says, we were buried therefore with him by being placed in to his death. Spiritually. When you are baptized, it is a picture of being placed into him in death. So the reason I enumerate that is because I don't want you just to think about water baptism. That's an awesome thing. But it pictures a much larger spiritual reality. so it's to be placed into him in death in order that with a purpose why were you placed into him to death just as Christ so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father we too might walk in newness of life for if we have been united with him in a death like his we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his please do not confuse this with future resurrection Yes, that's true and that's awesome, but you need resurrection life right now where you're sitting. And so he took you and he placed you in Jesus and he crucified you with Jesus and he buried you with Jesus spiritually and he raised you with Jesus and you popped up out of the grave, an old wretched Adam? Wrong. You popped out a new spiritual person with a new life, connected and in union with Jesus, which makes all the things we talked about in Zephaniah and Ezekiel over the last couple of weeks possible because of that, because of union, because of a new identity, because of a change that occurred to you. When you gave your life to Jesus, and if you haven't given your life to Jesus, that is possible through this giving. When you give, he says, I take, and yes, I forgive you, I cleanse you, but I also take you into myself, and you experience a crucifixion with me. So that you can live a resurrected life today Wouldn't that be great to have resurrection life right now? Although our bodies fail, there's something inside of us that has more and more and more life. So when we take communion, when we eat the bread, we are bringing into the present that we participated in Jesus' death, not his death for us, but our death with him. The blood is his death for us. The bread is our death with him. Maybe you didn't know today that you died with Christ if you've given your life to him. You died with Jesus. And when he was buried, you were buried. And when he was raised, you were raised, whether you knew it or not. And you've been walking around with resurrection life all this time. And it's been wanting to get out. (laughs) It's been wanting to do something in your thinking, your feeling, and your choosing. And it's wanting to do work in you and heal you. And then it's wanting to come out of you to the world around you that desperately needs resurrection life as well. Don't we see that when we look at the world around us? Aren't they screaming out for life? We're the only ones that can carry it to them. But if we don't know that we have that inside, then we're going to kind of damn the streams of the ability for that to come out. So in the bread, we celebrate this death with Christ and we bring that we participated with him in his death into this thing. And we bring to today that we have a whole new life, a whole new family line, and so much more. Like I said in my candidating weekend, I don't, you'll have to vote me back, but I'm here. So I'm gonna get to share with you some of the so much more like I've been doing and I'm looking forward to doing and expounding on all the riches in Christ. And it's what we celebrate when we take communion. In taking communion, we proclaim the Lord's death for us and our death with Him. It's a double whammy. And through communion, we proclaim that He has forgiven us and that He has given us new life. What we do is we retell the gospel, the full gospel that we totally identify with and we totally participate in all the powers and the effects that Jesus offers through it. It ain't just bread and juice or wine in some traditions. It's so much more. Jesus took common elements and elevated them to picture spiritual truth. I hope that today communion is so much more. I hope your mind is like because that's what communion should be. It shouldn't just be like, okay, let's take the bread. Let's take the cup. I'm such a filthy wretch. Yes, there's a part of that. Thank you for the cup that I'm a filthy wretch and I've been forgiven. Thank you for the body that I have. I'm not just a filthy wretch anymore because that filthy wretch died with Jesus and now something new came out and I get to learn what that is. Amen? Will you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for the gift of communion. Thank you for pointing it out, for instituting a meal that we can share with you that puts in the place and helps us to practice and bring forward what you did on the cross. And that we are not just bystanders watching or remembering, but we are people who joined in, not for our own salvation, not for our own death or whatever, but we joined in because you brought us into yourself, giving us the death that we so desperately needed so that you could give us the life that we so desperately needed. May communion be something that as we take it from this day forward would be so revolutionary in our thought process. So big that it would set a course for our lives that would be transformational. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.